0: much for joining us today for our Focus on Scholarly Publishing, Career Development and COVID-19. I'm coming to you from my home in London and I'm joined by my co-host Meredith Adenolfi, dialling in from her home in Boston. For those of you who are new to the podcast, this series aims to serve all facets of the scholarly publishing industry by bringing together insight, advice and guidance from leaders and experts in the field. Today is the second part of a two-part series that looks at how publishers can support early career professionals during a time of such upheaval. In part one, we focused on what Taylor and Francis, Wiley, and the University of Michigan Press are doing to provide support for employees during this time. Today, we're actually focusing on how publishers can help early career publishers, or those at any career stage, with career planning and development. We will be joined by Anne-Michael of Delta Think and Sarah Teagan of ACS. Meredith, before we get started, what are you hoping to get out of today's podcast?
1: Thanks so much, Sarah. It's great to be back talking to you again for part two. So our guests in part one were so generous in sharing concrete things that their organizations are doing to support and look after employees. Today, I'm really looking forward to hearing Sarah's and Anne's thoughts on specific ways that those who are early in their publishing careers can continue growing during a time that clearly carries extra challenges for career development. I'm expecting to learn a lot from these discussions, so let's get started right away and move into our first interview. For this interview, I'm joined by Sarah Teagan, who is Senior Vice President for the Journal's Publishing Group at the American Chemical Society. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Meredith, it's great to be here. Let's start by having you talk just a little bit about yourself and your role at ACS. Uh, sure.
2: So I've been with the American Chemical Society for almost exactly 15 years. Um, I started at ACS as a managing editor for the brand new journal at the time, ACS Chemical Biology. And in the past 15 years have worked my way up the ladder doing a number of things in in the editorial development group before taking on an operations role leading our our peer review operations and help desk operations. And then more recently, I've assumed responsibility for the entire journals publishing group, which means I have responsibility for the, the strategic direction for our entire portfolio of journals in
1: chemistry. That's great. So you certainly have a lot on your plate, which I'm sure will mean you have a lot to offer on this topic. I know it's been a difficult year in many ways. How would you say things are going in general at ACS?
2: You know, in general, I think things are going pretty well for us. Um, Like so many organizations in the middle of March, we sent everyone home. Our staff were tremendous and made the adjustment to working from home really rapidly and really professionally. We've been able to accomplish uh, all of the goals that we have set for the year, and they were aggressive goals to begin with. In addition to to pivoting and adding some additional unplanned activities, so I think um, think from a staff perspective, they've done just a remarkable job, and I couldn't be prouder of the team. Um, you know, obviously there are challenges. In having everyone remote, the things about trying to keep staff morale high and how do you increase interaction, how do you deal with Zoom fatigue, all those kinds of things weigh heavily on our minds and and we're trying to do our best to ensure that everyone remains engaged and uh, really moving forward and feeling healthy about their work-life balance.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Given all of that, what do you see as the unique challenges and concerns, particularly for early career professionals?
2: Yeah. You know, I think early career professionals have it tough in any industry that you're in right now. If you're just starting a job, if you're only recently into a job, I think getting to know your colleagues um, feels a little weird and intimidating at this point. I think specifically for early career people, if you think about like what are the networking opportunities and getting to know other people in the industry or getting to know different parts of the industry, that feels like there's um, there are different challenges to overcome in that respect. And then if I think back to my days earlier in, in my career, you know, I think there are a lot of, of folks who, who are juggling tremendous family responsibilities with work responsibilities right now in a time when, when uh, everything feels like it's uncertain. They have my sympathy, but also my support and my admiration, really.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. Sarah, you mentioned this a moment ago, and I'm interested to know a bit more about it. How have you approached goal setting within your team this year? Specifically, how have you encouraged people to find the right balance between taking care of themselves personally and continuing to look after their goals and their careers?
2: That's an interesting question. You know, um, each year our management team sets Goals and objectives for the upcoming year. So, at about this time, we're, we're starting to sit down and say, What is it we're going to do in, in 2021? So, we did that last year, and we try to divide things up on a quarterly basis. And we found that those kinds of things have really held true to form. So, those um, goals and objectives that we set last year became everyone's personal objectives for the year. Um, in terms of career development, we're trying to do other things. We're trying to give people opportunities to attend lots of seminars and and webinars um, that are germane to their careers. We've tried to encourage people to do some, you know, if there's book learning, if there are other resources that make sense to try to to focus on those, we're trying to do the the best that we can. And then finding the right balance between, you know, taking care of yourselves and, and looking after their careers. I really think that a happy employee, a satisfied employee, is someone who is going to be in a better place in their career. So, you know, trying to figure out how to make that work-life balance uh, feasible is is tough. So, you know, recently we, as a as a publications division, have had to sort of have some norm setting about meetings right i mean now instead of like popping into someone's cube or office down the hall it's like okay can we schedule a zoom meeting for this and and maybe those things don't need to be zoom meetings so thinking hard about what are other means of communication to keep uh, interactions shorter so people can get on with what they're doing doing things like letting people say not can't attend that meeting i've got child care responsibilities and then the onus is on The people who are hosting the meeting to say, record it so that you can review it asynchronously later or doing things like shortening duration of meetings from 60 minutes to 50 minutes so that people have a little bit of time to be able to get up and go refresh their coffee, go stretch and and go outside, see the sun. Um, I think that those things are all really important. And then, you know, also being real and my staff that have kids, um, I say, do what you can, you know, if lunchtime should be sacred, you know, for anyone in our organization, but especially if you've got little ones that you need to attend to. So go and do that. No questions asked. And, you know, we're really fortunate that we've got a supportive organization who's encouraged our staff to do as much as they can work wise, but while also taking care of themselves and their families
1: those are some great points about meetings. Times like this really force you to kind of look at what's important about when you have meetings and how long they last and who is at them and uh, try to think differently about your priorities.
2: Yeah, you fall into the trap of, well, I don't have to commute. So, you know, I can start my day earlier and, and my day longer because I, I wasn't in the car, right? And that's okay every once in a while, but it can't be something that's sustainable. We shouldn't be asking people to work, say, more hours than what they were doing when they were in the office, per se.
1: That's a great point, something I'm definitely hearing as well. So, on the flip side, there are some unfortunate business realities that happen during times like this. What advice would you give to anyone in the industry who might be worried about things like hiring freezes or possibly redundancies and the effect those things might have on their careers? Yeah. Uh, it's
2: certainly a scary time. Certainly as a as a young person, you know, you sort of feel like, oh my gosh, my the, the world might be Coming down if they're hiring freezes or my job is made redundant. I would say try to figure out how to make yourself really essential to your organization. If there are opportunities that are put in front of you, take them. You know, it's an opportunity to learn, it's an opportunity to broaden your skill set and to be a much more well rounded employee. And when you've got more skills, that means you're imminently more employable, right? And then the other thing I would say, too, is don't always think about, like, what's the most direct path to where I want to get? I think taking more of a circuitous route might actually be more beneficial to people, right? You you get some additional experience. um, You don't know exactly where the path might lead. But I'd say be open to new and different challenges and never let an opportunity hang in the air in front of you.
1: That's great advice focusing on what you can do and what opportunities you have rather than worrying too much about things that you don't know whether they're going to happen or not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you can only
2: sort of worry about the things that you can change. You know, I certainly get myself down that rabbit hole too, being uptight and, and concerned about my staff's welfare, the state of the U.S., the, you know, the state of the globe. You know, there's only so many hours in the day for worry, and I really should be focusing on the things that I can change, not the things that are just going to happen regardless of what I do.
1: That's so true. And you bring up an important point there, which is that as a manager, you carry the extra weight of worrying about your team as well. And that's just inevitable, but good to keep that in perspective.
2: Every single day, my staff are the first people I think about, you know, make sure that they're going to be okay. And what do I need to do as a leader to help them be okay?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I want to switch gears just a little bit here, but of course, with everything we've already talked about still in mind, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things related specifically to job seeking and the recruitment process. So, first of all, what general advice would you give to early career professionals in the industry who are either seeking a new role or a new development within their current role at their organization during this time?
2: You know, I think if you're looking for a new role, recognize that hiring is taking a little bit longer, that all of the interviews and recruiting processes are are taking place over Zoom or other video conference um, technology. So in many cases, like the nuts and bolts aren't changing in that you're still going to have to interview and and things like that but it's just not going to be in in person so you know i think stuff like making sure that when you're interviewing you've got a really nice quiet space that's got a a a nice background you know whether that is a virtual background or you've got a, a space in your flat or your house that that works well for that but to really put forward that professional look you know make sure that you're dressed well all of the things that you would do in an in-person interview um, are just as germane in a virtual interview. I think, too, continuing of, of following up with thank you notes and, and how you can add value to the organization that you're seeking to work for, um, really absolutely important. Um, those obviously need to be electronic communications now, uh, not uh, handwritten thank you notes, because I certainly haven't been to my office since March, so I have no idea what's sitting in my actual like snail mail inbox, right?
1: Right. Um,
2: Let's see, you also asked uh, about uh, what was the second half of that question?
1: Um, it was basically just your general advice for people who are seeking a new role or develop it within their current role. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. The other part of that that's really important is how is it that you're going to help your boss succeed, right? I mean, that, that that's really, I think, an important thing for, for people to think about. So if you've got great ideas, you know, go and pitch them to your boss. Um, say, you know, here's a way that I think we can expand our remit. Here's a way I think we can do things more efficiently. Here's something that maybe you haven't thought about, right? So it's basically coming forward to the folks in your organization with solutions and ideas. They might not be fully baked, but that's okay. I think it's it's showing like that initiative, and that's something that sits really well with a boss. It's like someone who says, ah, I want to really help control my career versus someone who's sort of more passive and says, well, I'm just going to sort of take whatever comes my way. Right? So I think you can be like the the arbiter of your own destiny. That's
1: such a great point. And that kind of answers another question that I was going to ask you, which was how can those who are early in their careers, or maybe who even started during the pandemic time, how can those people stay on the radars of managers and leaders in their organization when they aren't sharing physical space together? And I think you were just talking about a couple of ways to do that here and taking initiative.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely part of it. The other things that I think that you can do in, in this realm is, you know, be attuned to what's going on in the industry, whether you're reading blogs like the Scholarly Kitchen, or you're following different university developments, or different policy developments, or whatever, forward those kinds of things on to your to your manager, right? It shows that you've got some insight into the industry and what's important. Um, but it's also a way of, of getting uh, in front of your boss so that it's not out of sight, out of mind. I would say to use all the communication mechanisms that are open to you. You know, if your boss has office hours, don't hesitate to drop in right? Um, even if it's just to say hi and see how things are going. Um, I, I think too, like if you've got questions, uh, thinking about the alternate means of communication, Slack or IM or text or pick up the phone, those things are all really great ways of, of staying in, in front of your of your boss. Um, and then, you know, if there are opportunities within your organization for sort of get togethers as we've, we've done some virtual coffee hours, you know, we've done some paint and sip kind of stuff. There's there's lots of different things, like make sure that you're, you're taking taking part uh, in, in those activities too, as you're able, you know, I mean, if you're if your personal and home situation says can't do it, then that's okay. But I think figuring out ways of keeping your name in front of your boss um, are really important.
1: Yeah. You had a lot of good tips in there. We don't have to think of it so differently than we do during normal times. We just have to kind of translate those thoughts into the current environment, which makes a lot of sense. Yep. I'm curious if you have any other tips about interviewing virtually.
2: I guess maybe there are a couple of physical tips that I've got uh, around interviewing. Make sure the lighting in your space is really good. Um, You want to ensure that you've got light in front of you and some light behind you, right, so that you don't have some weird shadows and stuff so that you can really see people's faces. Because one of the things that we lose in a virtual environment is the real ability to make eye contact and to really read people's body language. So give yourself the best advantage when trying to do that. If you can get your hands on a nice external camera, that's really helpful too. You know, your laptop camera is fine, but if you've got even a slightly better external one, that can help too because the resolution is better and, and, and things like that. So really think about what are the easy and cheap ways to upgrade your tech to really uh, put yourself in the best light.
1: Do you think that there are any ways that early career professionals could use the virtual environment of 2020 actually to their advantage in seeking out new roles?
2: it's kind of interesting. So early in the, the pandemic, I was thinking about, man, how, what am I going to use this time to do? And I sort of thought about it. And so I, I emailed a bunch of my women publishing friends and said, Hey, maybe let's get together for a monthly happy hour. And we've been doing that for the past six months or so now. And it's been awesome. And at the happy hour that we had last week, one of my colleagues admitted, she's like, I'm getting to know people that I didn't know. And this was just because I took a little bit of initiative and put together some people that I knew, but I didn't realize that they didn't know each other. So, you know, how can you use the existing network that you've got to develop a richer network, I think is, is one thing. The other thing that I think I've really seen is sitting on, on webinars and, and conferences is it feels like there's a great democratization that has happened. Everyone's just another square on the on the Zoom meeting. So while we don't sort of have the happy hours or the, the coffee breaks at a meeting where you could go up and talk to people, I know when I was early on in my career, it was tough for me to feel like I could break into a conversation with someone that I maybe wanted to get to know or I had some questions for, especially if they were sort of more senior to me in, in the industry. And I feel like now because they're just another square on Zoom that I can go ahead and email them and, and ask them. So for me, it's been really kind of liberating um, to be able to to do that. I've, I've gotten to meet some people that I hadn't met before because because I didn't feel intimidated. And that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, that's such a great point that the environment sort of naturally puts everyone on an even playing field. And it if you think about it that way, it gives you an opportunity to approach people you might not have otherwise. That's great. So we've covered a lot of ground here, Sarah. I'm curious if you have any other thoughts that we haven't gotten to or haven't covered that you'd like to share on this topic?
2: Yeah, I do. Just a, just a bit of a, a closing thought. As an early career Professional, one of the things that's really important for you to remember is that you're your own best cheerleader. You're the person who knows you and your strengths and your opportunities for growth and your aspirations best. Don't assume that your boss or your colleagues know precisely where you would want to go. So, Make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. Make sure that you're staying in front of your, your boss and your colleagues. Do everything that you can. Take part in every opportunity that makes sense for you. And, and basically, be the person who directs your career. Don't be the person who stands back and waits for opportunities, but figure out how to make your own opportunities. Be curious, be uh, adventurous, um, and you'll go great places.
1: That's an excellent piece of advice to end on. I think and overarches everything else you said. So with that, I want to say, Sarah, thank you so much for being here and for the time and thought that you put into your answers and insights. I know it's going to be really helpful for our audience. And you offered some really specific things really for anyone who's looking to continue their growth during an unusual year. So thank you so much and best of luck to you in navigating the rest of the year with your team.
2: Thanks so much, Meredith. This was a lot of fun and I'm really glad to be able to impart maybe at least a little bit of advice to to early career professionals. Absolutely.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks so much, Meredith. And thank you, Sarah. That was a fantastic interview. A couple of pointers that I took out of it were uh, really to figure out how to make yourself essential. I thought that was really important and to take every opportunity that comes your way. I also loved what Sarah said about making sure you are your own cheerleader. So don't assume that your boss or your colleagues know what you want. Be the person who really directs your career. I also loved how she said not to assume that your boss or your colleagues know what you want. And of course, she ended by saying that we should all be curious and be adventurous, which I don't think there's any better advice. Meredith, was there anything that really resonated for you?
1: Yeah, there was. I really liked all of the specific and concrete tips she gave about interviewing. And especially I liked kind of this overarching theme she had for that and just in general that we don't have to so dramatically change our point of view on how we approach things like interviews or meetings or conversations that you can still do those things in a similar way in terms of the way you dress, how you present yourself, what you have going on in the space, and that there are some things you can use to your advantage even in the virtual environment. We'll now hear from Anne Michael, CEO of Delta Think.
0: Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I wanted to quickly start by asking you to briefly run through your career for some background information for our listeners.
3: Sure, Sarah. Basically, I kind of view myself as having uh, two careers. The first one, the first half of it, was really around uh, technology development. I worked in companies like AT&T and uh, basically did business analysis, project management, program management. And then around 2000, I wound up within publishing working for Walters Kluwer, first as their director of project management and then very much being involved in their digital transition and working as the um Executive Director of Electronic Strategy and Product Development. After being there for about five years, I started a consulting company. And uh, for the last 15 years, have pretty much, except for two little breaks, um, worked as the founder of Delta Think and focused very much on change and change management within publishing. Um, My first break was with Really Strategies. I was their president of information and media that was back in around 2008 or so. And then recently, up until a few months ago, I was the chief digital officer for PLOS.
0: So it sounds like we actually need to bring you back at some point to get you to talk about the twists and turns that your career has taken. But that's a fantastic background. Thank you so much. So this year has obviously been a bit of a strange one. Um, It's been a very difficult year in many ways. How do you perceive things going in general in the publishing
3: industry right now? Well, I think we went through a brief period of shock and uh, I'm happy to say that I think after a couple of months of understanding uh, a little bit about the uncertainty we were going to be facing over the next months and potentially even years, I think that we've started to adapt and people have started to understand where they are and what they're doing and, and what's important. I think that in many ways... I hate to say this because, of course, the pandemic is horrible. I don't want to say anything, quote, positive about the pandemic, but a positive impact has been that I think the industry and organisations within the industry have taken a good hard look at what they do and how they do it, and they're more willing to change than they had been prior to this upheaval.
0: That's actually a really interesting point, and one of the first times I've heard that said is there anything specific that you're seeing that, that that publishers are more willing to do or adapt to?
3: Sure. Well, I mean, I guess a very basic thing is to think about process. To say, you know, what happens over time is that you had a way of doing things, and new needs come along, new products, new new um, you know market needs, and you adapt what you've already done in order to meet those needs. And sometimes when that happens, it's almost like, you know, you have a Picasso painting of a process versus an actual clearly, um, you know, uh, concrete, definable process. And over time, you know, as I said, you you actually end up introducing maybe inefficiencies or, or in, to adapt to an immediate need, you don't always do it in a way that um, optimizes the whole process. And what I've seen, and I know this is definitely true, um, from my time at PLOS this year, but I've seen it with other publishers too, is they're more willing to say, wait, this is insane. Why do we do this like this? Or it made a whole lot of sense when we started, but now we need to figure out a way to do this better.
0: Yeah, I think, I, I think that's a really valid point, actually. And hopefully that continues. One thing that we're very focused on with this podcast is, of course, early career professionals. What do you see as the unique challenges and concerns that are facing early career professionals this
3: year? Well, I actually gave some thought to this because I I think when you look at an early career professional coming into any industry, what they don't have right from the beginning is a network. They don't necessarily have a support system. They don't have connections. And so I think that that's the unique challenge of an early career person at this point is that for those of us that have been in this industry now for 20 years. We have a whole lot of shoulders we can lean on, people we can ask for input uh, on various different things that we might be doing, and even places for some kind of uh, camaraderie and sympathy. And so I think that's particularly challenging. Not that I don't think it's something that can be managed and, and overcome, but I think that might be a challenge for an early career, feeling a little bit less connected than some of their colleagues that are farther along in their careers.
0: Firstly, actually, I think that's a really, really important point because I know that people are struggling mentally throughout this as well. But secondly, do you actually have any ideas or did you think of any ideas for how people can actually start to overcome
3: that virtually? So I started to think about where I was sitting as someone who's not an early career and thinking about the fact that even with the network, there are fewer options to interact with people and everybody has Zoom fatigue. And so I started to try to think about if I took that back and I didn't have these connections and I, you know, how do I stay in touch with people I know and and how do I reach out to new folks that I think are interesting that I might want to meet. And so I think early careers, there's a little bit of an advantage that some have. I don't want to be general, uh, you know, and go through generalities, but for the most part, I think a lot of early careers are much more adept at social media. You know, it didn't exist when I was an early career. And so I think that one of the things that I would do is if I was in an another career, is I would try to not hold back and not be shy about reaching out to folks, even people that I don't know, especially through you know tools even like LinkedIn, and to participate as much as they can, to find areas that are interesting to them, and to follow things on Twitter, and to look at different posts, and not to be afraid or reluctant to make comments or to get involved or to tap people on the shoulder, and and I think. One of the things that really occurred to me as I was thinking about this is, do you know how many meetings I have been in over the last half a dozen years with industry organizations, with companies, um, you know, publishers, talking about how do we engage early careers? How can we help early careers? How can we encourage and develop them? So I think an early career person should recognize, if they haven't already, that they're actually in demand, that they're the future of the industry. and Everybody at at every, you know, the 360 view of the industry wants to engage them. So I do think that, you know, for example, with me, I get people that reach out to me on LinkedIn often, and I enjoy interacting with them. First of all, just connecting with them on LinkedIn, and then a lot of times having um, calls. There's also programs at like SSP, you know, Society for Scholarly Publishing, and ALPSP, for mentoring. I believe STM has a mentoring program too. And uh, and granted they're limited. They might only be, I don't know, 20 spots, 25 spots. But I think that reaching out and trying to get involved and making those connections, attending conferences, looking who's talking in the chat boxes or whatnot and, and reaching out to people is something that I would really encourage them to do. So on that point,
0: especially in terms of reaching out and making new contacts, what advice would you give it to anyone worried about hiring freezes or redundancy and the effect that this might actually have on their career.
3: I guess my underlying philosophy of life is that, you know, worry is only useful to you as much as it's a motivation to act in some way. So, sticking to the word worry Things are going to happen and there are only so many things that you have control over and all you can do the best you can do is to prepare yourself for what might be ahead. So looking back to the previous question networking connecting with people doing the best job that you can do understanding where you are and the burdens that might be on upon you for example if you have small children or you know any children or you know where you're having to help in their education now when you maybe didn't have to do that before but just first of all giving yourself realistic goals and then trying to make sure you set aside some time Every single day, or at least every single week, to do something that's not within your normal work environment—you know—to go and um, participate in someone, to reach out to someone, you know, to set a goal to reach out to a new person at least once a week. Because at the end of the day, when you talk about hiring freezes, redundancies, they are going to happen, or they're not going to happen. But the best thing you can do is to be developing your connections in the industry. So if they do happen to happen (laughs) and they impact you, that you have already started to build potentially other avenues you could pursue. And also the other thing I would think about that, I was thinking about this too, is um, don't be afraid to be a little non-traditional. So as the co-founder or the founder actually, and co-owner of a consulting company I can tell you that we're getting some folks that have had redundancies impact them that we're putting to work either temporarily or you know, potentially even exploring longer term things uh, that's work in the industry. And it's it's maybe it's not another full time job, but there are things out there you can do.
0: Right. So don't be afraid.
3: Yeah, I know that sounds trite and I don't mean it to sound that way. But, you know, fear is only helpful if it's not paralyzing. As I said, if it causes you to be prepared, then it's a wonderful thing. But if if it's paralyzing, then I, I, I'm not even sure how to counsel someone out of that.
0: <laughs> and just to change tangent a little bit, you obviously, you run a company, you've recently worked at PLOS. What have you observed to work well this year in terms of developing people? And what's been less successful, given that we're all now basically virtual?
3: So ironically, I was always part of the remote workforce at PLOS, so I was never based in San Francisco or in Cambridge. I'd kind of started to work that way with my folks from the very beginning. I did spend time there, but then most of what we did was regular meetings. And from a development perspective, what I was trying to focus on with folks at PLOS and even at Delta Think is that this is an opportunity. I know we're we're still very busy, but this is an opportunity to try and Think about the areas of your skills that you would like to improve. And there are so many resources. So, right now, almost every organization is doing some kind of webinar or informational sessions or whatnot. If you wanted to, Sarah, you could take a webinar every single day. I yeah. firmly believe without a problem you could do that. So, one thing I was doing at class and at Delta Think is encouraging people not only to participate in things like that where they have an area of interest, but then to bring that back to the group. And so at Delta Think we have a couple of meetings. We have a meeting like every two weeks around you know where we share information about what we're doing. And this is a perfect opportunity for people to tell us what they've learned at different webinars and to try to stimulate and get some thought going. And, and ironically, for some folks, I almost believe they're having more touch time with some of their managers and colleagues than they did before because everybody's so worried about its reduction that it seems to me that we're in meetings eight hours a day.
0: (laughs) So we're all going a little bit into overkill to make sure we don't under. (laughs) Exactly. Wow, okay. And what advice would you actually give early career publishers who are either seeking a new role or looking to develop within their current role during this very odd time?
3: Well, again, thinking about during this odd time, I would take a step back and say, what would you do normally? So the only thing you can't do now that you could do before is see people in person. So you can't go into the office, you can't go to a conference. So the question then becomes, well, what what can you do? Well, basically everything else. You know, you can, as I you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm beating this drum here, but it really is all about connection. It's all about expanding your network. And, you know, it used to be that network and networking had a very negative and almost self-serving type of a connotation to it. And that's not what it is at all. It's really about connection. It's really about understanding who you are, how you fit in, and understanding what options might be open to you. And so that's when I think that that's the time to seek out people that have the job you want or have a progression of the job you have and ask them, talk to them about what they've done and how they've done it. Reach out to them on LinkedIn. You don't have to know people. And for the most part, yes, we're all getting inundated with requests, but I will tell you right now that the request that goes to the top of my list For returning are are requests like that, are requests from people that are just trying to figure out what they might want to do next and how things fit together. And there are folks like myself, there are so many people out there that you know you've seen on the speaking circuit or whatnot, get their names, connect them on LinkedIn and ask them, you know, and then go to go look on LinkedIn. And I am a constant LinkedIn searcher, you know, but look for people that have titles that you think might be interesting and and ask them. And, And most people will want to tell you about their job and what they do. They'll be very happy to share with you.
0: What I really like about everything that you're saying is things have changed, but not that much has changed. And you can do all of the things that you could do before, just in a slightly different context. And I think that takes a lot of the fear out of it for people, knowing that there's still a huge amount of certainty, even within the uncertainty.
3: Absolutely, or I would even almost Sarah say it another way, and that is your career. All other things being equal, is filled with uncertainty. So there's just you know, I, I used to talk to people, folks. They, they would talk to me about starting a business, and they would say, "Oh, you know, you must be a risk taker." And my response was, "No, I'm a risk mitigator." And that's really what this is about. This is about from a career perspective, from your career development as an early career professional. Thinking about what are the risks to your career and how do you mitigate them? What you do to minimize either the chance that the risk occurs, if possible, or the ramifications or consequences of the risk, if and when it occurs.
0: And given everything you've said, do you think that there are ways that early career publishers can actually use the virtual environment that we're in now to take advantage of in seeking out new roles or career progression?
3: I think in many ways... I I think there are some ways. So as I said, I I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the only way you're going to have ideas about what you can do and how it fits together is to get a lot of input. And so, you know, hearkening back to the point that you need to figure out, and and we've discussed some of the ways to to get that input, but I I do believe that. Like, for example, I, I mentioned that there are many organizations that are looking for the input of early career professionals. Why not, you know, Take it upon yourself to pull together other folks that you find that are early professionals like you and just talk about and brainstorm what can you do? How can you provide value back to the industry in a way that may or may not be connected to your day job? I think it's just a time to really be creative. And by being creative, what I mean is to look at what you believe the constraints are that you are working within and then to poke them hard to see if they truly are constraints or if maybe they are things that you're just reluctant to do or you think you can't do or someone told you once you shouldn't do that <laughs> and figure out. how to I mean, this is the time I, I really do believe for people to try and find creative ways.
0: Like contacting someone on LinkedIn instead of going up to them at a conference. Either are okay, but you might be more reluctant to do the former because the latter seems safer.
3: Right. And, and well, actually, you bring up a really great point, too. Another thing I was thinking about was, so normally in an in-person environment, the advantage goes to the extrovert, right? The extrovert is the one, you know. And so now, in some ways, I think the playing field has been a bit leveled for the introverts out there, of which you can tell I am not one. <laughs> I do empathize. Uh, and, and so I think it's a lot easier to send someone a linkedin request or to tweet about something or a direct message on twitter or something like that or to comment on a blog post which that might be a little scary depending on the blog you know i think it's easier for someone to do that they get to think about what they're going to say they get to prepare and and i just think that it's an interesting point that this might this might just be the the time for the introverts to really mm. rise up out
0: there <laughs> i absolutely love that this is this is such fantastic advice And given that hiring is still going on at the moment, how can early career professionals successfully interview and make an impression, given that a lot
3: of recruitment is taking place virtually? So a long time ago, many, many millennia ago, and some people out there that are very much not early careers will remember this. You used to get a job by like going to the New York Times to the back. I'm talking like the 80s. You would go to the back of the Times and there would be all of these ads and somehow you needed to stick out. So I would argue that I know the questions about the interview itself, but I would argue that the real hard thing and this has not changed. Now you're subject to the you know search engines looking for key terms. But the hardest part is getting in front of someone and the reality is whether you're zoom or whether you're sitting there you're still in front of someone Um, i was actually on a board for five years for a company in canada the entire interview process although they wanted it to be in person i had lots of conflicts on my calendar everything was done virtually and You're still in front of someone like I think that it's actually the process of getting to the point where you have an interview that's really difficult. And again, what does it go back to? It goes back to connections. You see something you're interested in. The first thing you do is go and say, where is this? Who do I know there? Oh, I don't know anybody. Who do I know that knows somebody there? Like, how can I figure out what it's like to be in this place? What, it, what their culture is like? And if there's anybody there I can talk to, anybody that might know who the recruiting manager is, things like that. So I do think it's that upfront piece, not the interview itself, that's more challenging.
0: I think that that is a fantastic point. Just one final question. Do you have any closing thoughts that we haven't covered?
3: You know, I, I think I might have actually hit on most of these things during your questions, but... I guess the closing thought that I would think about I understand that this is a crazy time in our history and it's not even just about covid. I mean there are there's political unrest in places. I mean gosh, if you're in the west coast of California, you're dealing with fires that you know there are natural disasters. I mean things are going a little crazy but this is our world this is the world that we're sitting in we don't get to change those very large things in an immediate fashion we have to figure out what our action plan is for managing our lives within them and so i think that while it's normal to lament the past or to worry about the things that you might have lost i think it's really really helpful to try and focus on the things that you can do, where you can make an impact, where you can you know, meet new people or contribute to a cause or do something like that, because that's what's going to pull you through, I believe, to whatever the other side looks like, if there is another side versus a, a slight change in direction. We all don't know what's going on in the future. And the reality is, although what we're dealing with now is maybe more severe, we never knew what was going to happen in the future. So take a deep breath and figure out just how you want to approach the next weeks, months and worry about the years a little bit less. I would say try to fix your your gaze a little bit on the six to 12 month time frame versus five years from now just to give yourself a little less stress.
0: I would like to end on that because I think that is the perfect point. And thank you so much for your time today and your thoughts. And perhaps we'll be able to have you back on to talk about your career and the many paths it's taken in the future. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Sarah. It was really wonderful to be here. That wraps up our
0: interviews for today. Meredith, what stood out for you from Anne's interview?
1: Sarah, I really enjoyed hearing from Anne. Two things stood out to me as great points of advice. I really like what she said about mentoring as a way that early career professionals can continue making connections in the virtual environment. That's such good advice because mentorship is something people can still take full advantage of virtually during this time, and it can be a great way to grow your networks and your connections as well as just get guidance and advice in real time. I also really loved her point that the virtual environment levels, the playing field in terms of the advantage extroverts might have in in an in-person environment.
0: Thanks, Meredith. I very much agree on that final point about the advantage that extroverts had. And I think one of the key takeaways I actually pulled out from this is that I know it has been hard for many early career publishers who may not have a great deal of confidence yet. And so linking to your comment about mentorship and actually some of the earlier podcasts that we recorded where we talked about ways to find a mentor, I do really like what Anne said about taking this opportunity and not being afraid to reach out, particularly via LinkedIn.
1: I definitely agree, Sarah. In today's episode, we heard many practical and concrete ideas for how to remain career and development focused right now. These conversations complemented each other really well, and I think together they provide something for everyone in terms of takeaways that can be applied right away and built on right away. One point that both Sarah and Anne made is that although things are very different right now, much of what early career professionals need to do for their growth remains unchanged at the core the framework of all of this as an evolution or progression rather than a dramatic change or approach is incredibly helpful and comforting. With that, we want to say a big thank you to Sarah and Anne for their time and insights, and thank you to all of you for listening. We'll be back soon with a new episode featuring an interactive panel of early career professionals.